Welcome to The God Culture, where we urge you to challenge tradition as 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. We do not intend to be confrontational, but to compare what the Bible really says versus the traditions of men, which Jesus himself rebuked. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Mark 7, 9. We are continuing our Solomon's Gold series today by determining the types of ships used by the ancient Phoenicians, which includes Tyre, from which Hiram was king, We will explore quotes from actual historians who tell us how fast and far these ships could travel, as well as how much they could carry. We will take this information and calculate reasonable distances in which these ancient ships could have traveled. And once more, this will lead us to the area of Ophir, Sheba, and Tarshish, in the Philippines. Climb aboard for a ride of truth. Second Chronicles 9.21 For the king's ships, Solomon's, went to Tarshish with the servants of Haram, Hiram, king of Tyre. Every three years, once came the ships of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks, We already explored this list of resources and found them all in the Philippines, but not in the other areas claiming to be Ophir and Sheba and Tarshish. Today, we will focus on the three-year journey from the perspective of the actual types of ships Hiram would have used for Solomon's navy. History records that in 1800 BC, ancient Egypt had vessels such as the one pictured here, which could actually sail into the ocean. This was over 800 years before Solomon's era. In ancient Phoenicia, land of Tyre, Hiram's kingdom, These pictured ships from 1500 B.C. and 900 B.C. were also capable of rowing across the ocean. Some historians even speculate that the Phoenicians made it to the Americas. We know that these are similar to the types of ships used to go to Ophir, known as the ships of Tarshish, which is an area within Ophir just as Sheba is. Ezekiel 27, 25, and 26. The ships of Tarshish did sing of thee in thy market, and thou wast replenished and made very glorious in the midst of the seas. Thy rowers have brought thee into great waters, oceans. The east wind, east, hmm, hath broken thee in the midst of the seas. So, Scripture tells us that the ships of Tarshish, which we know go to Ophir and Sheba as well, are in fact the types of ships with rowers as pictured previously. Of special note, notice this Scripture says they were broken 
by an east wind. That is yet another clue telling us that they headed east. Notice as well that the scripture tells us that these ships brought them into great waters. Great waters would be the oceans. Let's look at some historians' comments weighing in on this topic. Both Herodotus and Thucydides agree that the average speed of an ancient vessel was around six miles per hour, and therefore taking into account stops for bad weather, rest, etc., it would have taken, for example, 15 days to sail and sometimes row from Greece to Sicily. This figure appears to be as of 700 BC, which is 300 years after King Solomon. We will use this figure to calculate, but we will take into account that it was likely a monoreme ship, not a bireme ship, with one level of rowers as opposed to two. And in 1000 BC, the Phoenician ships were most likely that. We will also figure in weather, wind, stops, and the fact that historians believe that the Phoenicians only traveled during daylight and not at all at night. They would anchor at night or go to port if there was a port already established, which there wouldn't be on this first journey more than likely. Based on all of these factors, we believe a conservative figure of 20 miles per day would be reasonable. But here is another source. Phoenician vessels of the time of Sargon the Great in 2300 BC. This would have been long before Solomon, 1300 years before Solomon's era. The number of the oars on each side is 15 or 20. That's a lot of oars. Then the same source tells us about the time of Sennacherib in 700 BC, or a little earlier, some great advances seem to have been made by the Phoenician shipbuilders. In the first place, they introduced the practice of placing the rowers on two different levels, one above the other. Phoenicia.org here confirms that the ships of Tarshish Ophir were likely monoreme, meaning one level of rowers, with 15 to 20 oars on each side way back in 2300 BC. They oddly skipped the era of Solomon and show that ships had advanced to biremes, meaning two rows of rowers on both sides by 700 BC. However, this still confirms our calculations are likely conservatively accurate. And here's another source. Flavius Josephus mentions Phoenician ships at Solomon's time traveling with 6,500 tons up to 600 passengers and 
cargo, as well as the crew. For a three-year journey to retrieve the list of resources we learned, gold, silver, trees, ivory, apes, peacocks, whether alone the hewers to cut timber, and all of the crew required, Solomon would have needed the larger cargo ship and may well have sacrificed speed for space. Again, our calculation of an average of 20 miles per day seems reasonable. We are really looking for a voyage taking about one year at sea, then one year to plant, trade, and harvest, and a return voyage of yet another one year at sea again. That would make sense. Notice again on our map here, the Red Sea port at Ezion Gebir, where Solomon's navy set sail from. Does Yemen make sense as a three-year journey here? It would take three months of travel at sea round trip, leaving two and three quarters years to plant, trade, and harvest. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. How about Ethiopia? About the same. At four months round trip, leaving two and a half years to plant, trade, and harvest. Nonsense. A very few scholars take a real stab in the dark and say, oh, it's the Indus Valley in India. That's fear." Which, by the way, was virtually gone out of existence, according to scholars, historians, by the days of Solomon, in fact, a thousand years prior. Nope. One year at sea, round trip, to go to India, with 2.2 years left over to plant, trade, and harvest. None of these are far enough. However, look at the Philippines, which matches this account in every other way, and we've covered much of that so far. It would be about a two-year round trip at sea, leaving one year to plant, trade, and harvest. Now that makes sense. Notice that Solomon's navy could have traveled within visibility of land for most of the journey. And again, probably traveled during the day and anchored at night. We'll secede that. Still, 20 miles per day is a very reasonable pace. And that's what we've applied here. But don't just take our word for it. We actually have a clip from David Hatcher's Childress from the History Channel and Ancient Aliens speaking on a talk show on this very trip. Don't worry, he does not credit the aliens for this one. Listen to what he has to say. Ancient Egypt was an unusual country, like uh, ancient Israel. You had uh, countries that had the ability to have a port on the Mediterranean, which the Egyptians did, and the Mm -hmm. ancient Hebrews, and you could have a port city 
uh, on the Red Sea. And that would allow you to go out into the Indian Ocean. You could go down through East Africa. You could cross the Arabian Sea. You could go to Muscat. You could go to uh, Persia, to India, to Sri Lanka, on to Australia, and, of course, to uh, Pacific Islands and, and to South America. Now, I mean, it's kind of interesting how... Uh, archaeologists think, particularly the isolationists, one of the stories in the Bible is of King Solomon's mines and a trip to Ophir. And Ophir was a three-year journey. And it's talked about in the Old Testament in Kings. They would, it would take, they would leave from a lot on the Red Sea and they would go for one entire year uh, out Somewhere past India and Indonesia, there they would get uh, exotic feathers, they would bring apes back, and they would bring back all this gold. And it was this gold that they brought back that built the the first uh, temple in Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. You have the Bible saying, yeah, it's a three-year trip. One year to go there. One year They would stay there one year, and then it would be one year back. Well, archaeologists were looking for Ophir and King Solomon's mines, and where they think they are, they found a gold mine in Saudi Arabia. So they thought, oh, well, this has to be King Solomon's mines. This is Ophir. And others would say, oh, well, they went to Somalia or some area like that in East Africa. Well, there's a problem with that, and that is that, I mean, those places are only a few days' sail from a lot in the Red Sea. I mean, they're not even several weeks of voyaging uh, in actuality. In a year, the ancient Phoenicians and, and Hebrews who were, were going on these journeys to offer, I mean, they could easily have gone as far as Australia, for instance. Could it be that Ophir was actually an alien form from outer space? Ancient astronaut theorists think so. No, we're kidding. Well, fortunately, Mr. Childress seems to agree with us on this one. The Philippines is the answer to this mystery. But if this is the case, why doesn't the Philippines have any history of ancient ships themselves? Well, you may not know this, you may not be aware, but actually, they do. Recently, archaeologists found the Butuan Mother Boat, which was 82 feet long. That's a long boat. And dates around 1200 AD. Not the time of Solomon, but it gives us a direction here. 400 years before the Spanish arrived, Filipinos had an 82-foot-long boat. Filipinos are really, we should refer them as Ophirians, (laughs) were not waiting around for the Spanish to arrive and give them clothes and plumbing and culture. They had their own, which was far more ancient than that of the Spanish, nor the Catholic Roman Empire. But that's not the only time Philippines was known for larger vessels. Spanish chroniclers actually mention the Philippine, Ophir, 
pre-Spanish warship, the Corcal vessel from Visaya, which was actually considered to be faster than the Spanish Armada. Quite a feed for natives in diapers. Perhaps because they were far more advanced than given credit? We will cover this in detail in our Unknown History of the Philippines segment coming up. Don't miss it. So, we learned that this three-year journey to Ophir, Sheba, Tarshish does not fit Ethiopia, Yemen, or even India. Yet again, it does fit the Philippines. We explored the types of ships and calculated conservative average speeds that the distance of this trip to Tarshish, Ophir, Sheba, actually matches the Philippines. We even heard this from another source. Philippines even developed its own ships long before the Spanish, and we believe that this goes back even further as a gold necklace from the Philippines, which we'll cover further in our Unknown History segment, was actually found in 1st century Egypt. We have three sources that confirm this. And even David mentions queens wearing the gold of Ophir. He even amassed a personal uh, treasury of the gold of Ophir, which he donated to the temple project from his own personal treasury. Did that gold get to Israel on a Philippine ship? Since the Red Sea port was not built until Solomon, it is likely that the Philippines traveled by sea and traded their goods, which ended up in David's hands, as well as the pharaohs and other kings. Remember, too, somehow Job, hundreds of years before Solomon, had also heard about the precious gold of Ophir. Somehow. Thank you for watching our Solomon's Gold series. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The God Culture, and view our website at thegodculture.com. Always remember to prove all things for yourself.